Good morning. How are you today? Good? Good day? Yeah. I don't know if you do, but I like oranges. Do any of you like oranges? Yeah, some people don't. I'm aware of that, but I like oranges. But I'm not going to talk about this orange as an orange like I could tell you that uh, the orange uh, is, this, this is where we get the name of the color. The color's named after the fruit, not the other way around. Uh, we'll talk about that in catechism class someday. For some reason, it always comes up. But um, I'm going to play with this orange just a little bit. Don't play with your fruit, though. Okay? All right. So let's pretend that this orange is what God wants us to be like. Okay? So who would this, who, who is the one person that does this perfectly for us? Jesus. Who? Jesus. Jesus. Exactly, yeah. Jesus. And God, that's exactly how God wants us to be. But then we turn out not to be like that. We turn out to be more like this thing, which is an onion. That's more like me. Yeah. Think, hey, at least it's, you know, bright and everything, but, you know, you know and everything's got stuff growing out of it. And it, You ever eaten a raw onion? Yeah, no. My, my basketball coach used to make us do this before games, though. No kidding. Yeah. That was terrible. We didn't even win all the time, but yeah, eat raw onions. But, you know, there, there, there are some things that these two things have in common, but the most important things they don't. But you know what? Sometimes in a game, you substitute one thing for another, and God says, I want you to be like this, and I know you're like this, but when I look at you, God says, I'm going to see this. Isn't that amazing? That God takes this and says, this is what I see because you have faith in Jesus. This is what I see and that's what counts. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Where God basically substitutes Christ for me even though I'm sinful and have all, and, you know, and all the terrible smell of my, the stink of my sins and everything like that. But God sees Jesus. Let's pray about that, okay? Can you fold your hands? Heavenly Father, you demand that we have to be perfect and holy and pure, but we're not. But you sent Jesus into the world to take away all of our sins and the things that we do wrong. And you tell us that when you look at us, you see Jesus so help us to see Jesus and, and thank you for bringing Jesus into the world and help us to always keep our faith in Jesus. And thank you for him and for all of the things you give us. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the word of God for a meditation on this first Sunday of Advent is from our Old Testament lesson, Jeremiah 33. Verses 14, 15, and 16. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior, this is the word of the Lord. This is a place where knowing 
A little bit of the background helps us to understand something of what was happening among God's people at this time and where this passage is coming from. Uh, it was the last full year before Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. And the Babylonians were in the land. The, uh, the cities and the fortresses of Judah were falling one by one by one. The, 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 the strongholds of, of Jerusalem and um, Lachish and Ezekiah, I suppose, were just about the last ones left. And the, the, I, I think the siege towers were just about rolling up to the, to the walls of the city and they were building up their ramps and the enemies were encamped around the city. At night they could see the campfires. By day they saw the soldiers in their tents all around the city. They were up to their necks in Babylonians. And it was just about to the point now where only a courier might even attempt to slip out of the city and go with a very important document somewhere. But everything else was being done, we learn in Jeremiah, by signal fire and so forth. And it was at this time that the Lord commanded his prophet, you know what? Go out and buy a field. What? That, and, and that's what everybody around Jeremiah said. What? Um, but of course, it was that, that incident, just before this, was a reference to the gospel uh, a truth that they were going to get out of this. That there was going to be a time when you could go out and buy a field and think about making a profit and not just surviving the war that you were in the middle of. But, but uh, Jeremiah, uh, his message all throughout the book seemed to contradict logic and to contradict what, what people thought the king should do. And, and, and sometimes the king, an earlier king, even burned uh, Jeremiah's scroll uh, page by page by page, threw it into the, into the winter furnace there in the palace. Um, and, and Jeremiah at this time, things were, people, there was such an, uh, an, an, uh, uh, an outburst of, of, of people against what Jeremiah was saying. How could the prophet of God say this, that he found himself arrested? This wasn't the time that he got thrown into the cistern. Jeremiah got arrested more than once, but this time he was under, under arrest in a lonely uh, room in the middle of the palace by himself. And the word of the Lord came to him about the days ahead. And uh, uh, Jeremiah begins the message about God's good or gracious promise. What promise is that? Well, back in chapter 29, the Lord had told the prophet, when the people go into their exile, tell them they will come back, that this exile will only last for 70 years. And you might think, only 70 years? That's a, a lifetime. But they were going to come back. Um, years before, almost 200 years before this, uh, an earlier, uh, maybe more primitive, certainly more terrifying enemy, the Assyrians had come and, and Israel, the northern tribes, had been up to their neck and they had gotten deported off to somewhere in the, in, the, in the northeast and they hadn't come back. In fact, to this day, they have not come back. And now Judah about to celebrate the bicentennial, or not celebrate, but observe the bicentennial of the deportation of the northern tribes are about to go themselves. And they had been going in waves. With the first wave went uh, the prophet Daniel. 
with a second wave went the prophet Ezekiel. With a final wave, even Jeremiah would be shackled and manacled and chained up with the other people about to walk off, not be carried, but to walk all the way over to Babylon. Something else is going to happen to Jeremiah, but that's not what we're talking about today. But what he does say is that when we come back, because of that righteous, wonderful, uh, uh, good promise God made, remember, we will come back and God then will send his righteous branch. Now, for those of you 7th and 8th graders who are taking notes, uh, the righteous branch, if, if, if you uh, can simply come back knowing what the word righteous means, that will be a wonderful uh, 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 thing to take home with you and to learn from this sermon. Because if you Google righteous or if you look it up in that, that, that old-timey book with Webster's name on the cover at home, uh, that uh, you look up the word righteous, the, the definition doesn't go far enough. Because righteous means more than simply being morally right or morally justifiable. No, righteousness has two definitions in the Bible. And both of them are in God himself. And the, the, those two definitions, the first one is, is an easier one because it's everywhere in Scripture that God is the perfect, holy, righteous one. Moses says God is a faithful God who does no wrong. But there is another righteousness because also we read in the Psalms, for example, that the Lord who is righteous in all his ways is also loving toward all that he has made. So this holiness that God demands of us, like the orange I was showing the children, that is offered to us, given to us through Christ, through the righteous branch who is coming. And he takes that righteousness and imputes it. That is, it stands for us. God's holiness stands in our place before God because we put our trust in Jesus. That's what this righteousness the second righteousness is. And, but it, it, to, to a human being, that God's righteousness that terrifies us because we can't live up to it, that that would be offered to us. It, it amazes us. And for some, it confounds them so much that they can't even grasp it or understand how that could possibly work. But more than that, God says, the one who is going to offer it to us is the righteous branch and now we come to that word branch, which means what? An arm of a tree, I suppose, right? Trees have lots of arms, some bigger, some shorter, some not so good, some wonderful. And all through the history of God's people and the whole world, God has been narrowing down the promise of this Savior, the righteous branch, first of all to Eve in the Garden of Eden, where Eve is given a crucial, no, don't misunderstand that or, 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 or give it short shrift, that the righteous one who is to come will be her descendant, which means the Savior will be from the human race. Vitally important to remember that. And there are those over the history of the church who kind of forgot that. But more than that, then shortly after the great flood, not very long, Shem probably still living, Abraham is, is given the promise, he'll be from your family. 
from the womb of your wife who can't have babies. And Abraham, how is this going to be? But they'll call him uh, 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 Isaac because they're going to laugh about this. How could that possibly have happened? And then Isaac will be told, all nations will be blessed through, through that descendant. And then it'll be through Jacob, not, uh, not Esau. And then they'll be told in, in Moses' time, not that long after this, not only will it be through Jacob, but through Judah. And then this foreign prophet came and told the people in the days of Moses, it's going to be a long time. But it will be like a scepter. It'll, it'll rise up. There will be a king. But it's a long way off. That was 1,400 years of time. They're not given the, 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 the date, but they're given the long time part of the prophecy. And then David is told, it'll be from your family, Solomon too. And now as they're about to go into exile, Jeremiah reminds them, from the line of David. That was important for the people to hear because the king at this time, Zedekiah, would be the last king of the Jews who was himself a Jew. There would be no more. And when he went into exile, oh, his eyes were put out. He was chained with a bronze chain. He never came out of the exile. And yet a descendant of that family, a branch of that family, would come back. The people, again, could not comprehend how that could be. How will this Savior come if the king himself has not returned? But, and that's just one more of our failings and our sins that this text exposes as we have this idea of our failure to comprehend and our unrighteousness in particular and our uh, sometimes opposition to God's prophets and ministers of the gospel uh, uh, to God's holy word and, and to his doctrines and to his teachings and, and mandates. That word means commands. And we are, we are finally empty of the righteousness God requires of us. There's none of it there, not even a tumbleweed. And the sin God demands that we be completely devoid of is just covering us from head to toe. And God says through Jeremiah, more than this, you're also going to have a hard time in this lifetime. Not only do you not have the righteousness, not only are you covered in sin, but your life is going to be hard. For the Israelites, that was going to mean going into the exile where there would be, they would be opposed by people who opposed them as a race and as a religion. And for us, there will be problems too. We want to follow the difficult path of, of being in a Christian that, in a world that more and more is opposed to the idea of Christianity, at least true Christianity. And one of the hardest paths we walk is actually in our country. When our country does what it is famous for, what it in the past has had a genius for, is that when a de democracy truly works, it works best through compromise. In a government, compromise means, uh, in, in essence, uh, you could say that it means that nobody gets everything that they want because they have to compromise a little bit. But it also means that, that, that in another sense, in theory at least, that nobody needs to be left out 
because we have a give and a take and everybody gets some and it, it is beneficial to all in the end. And for example, when compromise in our country broke down in 1859 and 1860 and early 1861, our nation ended up because of this in a civil war, a bloody murderous civil war that went on for years and cost hundreds of thousands of lives. And yes, if our political arena does not find a way to move away from its current lack of compromise, then the troubles we are seeing today will continue and they are bound to get worse. But while this is going on, we live as Christians with a faith that must be uncompromising. We must stand for Christ alone because we are saved by faith alone. We adhere to Scripture alone. And, but th this difficult walk that we have, this troublesome path that we walk, is because sometimes, more and more, our national and local government, church, uh, uh, the state government, begins to think that the church should also be an instrument of compromise as well. That doctrines should be things that can be revisited and even changed based on compromise. And that means that from our government, there will be times when there will be pressure and threats and, and legal action that will be attempted to make changes happen even in the way the church thinks and believes. It's a tough walk that we face and that we live with. And sometimes we are going to make mistakes. And individual Christians can end up throwing all kinds of accusations at one another because we get politically polarized and we forget about the mandate of Jesus, which is to love one another. And how can we help but make mistakes in this arena, in our culture, in this sinful world? But for all of these sins and all of this error and, and all these pitfalls we fall into that weigh down on our poor consciences, there is an answer. And Jeremiah gives it in our text. This is the, the pinnacle of his messianic prophecies. And the prophet says, in those days, Judah will be saved. Jeru Jerusalem will live in safety. And that salvation, that being saved, doesn't just mean the rescue from Babylon, that get-out-of-jail-free card that, that Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, gave to all of the Jews and to Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai and, and the others. No, it means that our errors of judgment, our mistakes, our sinfulness has been covered by Christ, is overlooked by God, and then Jesus is superimposed over us in God's eyes so that that's what he sees. And it means that all of this, this meandering, difficult path we're on with all of its pitfalls through all of this quagmire that we live in are gently shown back to us by God in the light of our believing Christian intentions. And God forgives what should be forgiven and reminds us to show our love for him with our actions where we have chosen to 
even sometimes do one thing over another or champion one thing over against another. God will even explain to us that if one man chooses to champion, say, orphans, that doesn't mean that he hates widows and lepers and war victims. It means that he has a, a passion for what these individuals need, and it doesn't mean that he has chosen uh, one good deed at the expense of the others, but that he can do something about those we do what we can in the service of our God. Another thing that the coming of the righteous branch reminds us of is just our season. Advent means coming. It is why in Advent time we have the blue color out because not only did Jesus come once to the manger, but it also means that he will come again as we have seen him go. And so the blue reminds us of the color of the sky from which he will descend on the last day. But when he came the first time, remember that Jesus came to do two things for us, to fill up the empty record of our righteousness and to atone the terrible price, to pay the terrible price for our sins so that what should have been full but was empty is now full. And what should have been empty, but we have filled up, is emptied in Jesus. We have his righteousness. Our sins are paid for. Without the cross, we would have no salvation at all. We would still be in our sins, even if we didn't understand or know about sin in the first place. And even if we took some legalistic attitude and try to reason our way or talk our way out of, out of point by point through all the things we had done back, back, back from our current, I don't know, bag of groceries all the way back with the cash register receipt that goes back into our cradle accounting for every one of our sins. But Jesus tore that off, crumpled it up, burned it, did away with it by paying for it himself paid up, paid in full. This is what our God has done for us and for one another. Put your faith in Jesus, the righteous branch who made us righteous. He has done what is right, and he has saved us from our sins. And so live in your uncompromising faith in Jesus alone, even as you and I walk through the disappointing compromises that are inevitable in our lifetime and in our culture, but know that God has not compromised about you, and he will not back, on, back down, and he will never let go. You are his child. You are part of his church, his holy Christian church, the communion of saints, and you have a place with him forever in heaven. Amen. These days we have many ways to give our offerings and there are baskets at the entrances and you can give online and there is even a, a receptacle in the office if you want to bring something later in the week. But we do share a stewardship thought and today uh, just a reminder that God gives us the things that we do, the good works that we do out of praise for Christ, that we do and think of those things as ways for us to respond to God's love. Use those opportunities, regarding them as as service to our Savior, a thank you to the one who gave us everything.